Good morning, everyone. We've got some things to celebrate this weekend. Happy Lunar New Year. Happy Valentine's Day. I think if we have any opportunity to celebrate anything, we should take it. We all need things that bring us joy in these stressful days. So whenever you have a chance, put on a party hat, have a piece of cake, go out for dinner, or bring in a special meal, but do things to celebrate the good that there is in the world. We all know about the bad. We don't need to regurgitate that. Instead, let's focus on the good. Find something to celebrate this week. Big or small, doesn't matter. Focus on the good and the good God who loves you. Now today, I want to celebrate that we come to the end of our message series on the early church as recorded for us in the book of Acts. Not like, thank God that's over, but thank God for the powerful way Scripture speaks to us in our world today. As I've said before, I think my job as a preacher is to build a bridge that spans the 2,000 years or so that connects the world of the first century church to our world right now. And that's why I love the book of Acts, so relevant to this current season of life. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 that his disciples would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we have watched the growth of these expanding circles of influence. Covering a time span of more than 30 years, we have seen the followers of Jesus grow from this handful of frightened believers to this international church numbering in the tens of thousands. It's no small miracle that the story of a crucified and resurrected Jew named Jesus, which began in a backwater town called Jerusalem, is now being proclaimed in the very heart of the mighty Roman Empire, even in the household of Caesar. Along the way, the followers of Jesus have had to endure riots and racism and ridicule, uh, political intrigue, propaganda, prison, beatings, natural disasters, and just their own personal discouragement. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the nightly news. Yet the book of Acts ends with an exciting shout of victory as the message of Jesus Christ has swept across the ancient world with the force of a tidal wave. Let me read this morning's final passage from Acts chapter 28, starting with verse 16. Acts 28, starting with verse 16. Let's hear God's word together. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me, wanted to release me, but because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know the people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of, Pro of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the 
through Isaiah the prophet, and then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. Go to this people and say, you will, ever, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles because they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. Thanks be to God. This is his holy word. Did you hear about the uh, two old guys who were out camping? They got early, up early uh, in the morning to go out on the lake, you know, in their fishing boat. And they were hoping to get a couple of uh, good-sized fish so that they could cook them for uh, breakfast over their campfire. After fishing for a while, one of the guys, you know, hooked the big one. You know, the fish put up this, this tremendous fight. Finally, you know, he reels it into the boat, and it was a beautiful, beautiful 16-inch bass, one of, the, one of the biggest fish that he had ever caught in this lake. And he and his buddy, they're high-fiving, they're taking pictures, and then all of a sudden, the guy who caught the fish, he throws it back into the water. And his friend said, are you nuts? I mean, what'd you do that for? That was a 16-inch bass. We were going to have that beauty for breakfast. And the first guy said, well, it wouldn't have worked. I only have a 10-inch frying pan. Okay, well, that's what they call a dad joke these days, you know, where a groan is the next best thing to a laugh. But it illustrates something really important about life. People allow themselves to be restricted by what are often self-imposed limitations. Self-imposed limitations. When you run up against a problem or a difficult situation, it's often easier to focus on what you can't do rather than what you can do. Instead of going forward with a positive faith in God, instead of looking for options and creative alternatives, it's easier just to shrink back into a life of excuses, of doubts, of even crippling fears. God gives you a 16-inch fish, but you only have a 10-inch frying pan. So you throw the fish back. Sometimes we are defeated by our own self-imposed limitations. Now, the Apostle Paul, he lived beyond his limitations. He, he grew the church beyond the blueprints. We've seen this over and over again in his life. And he's now in Rome. He has every reason to be discouraged, to give up, to throw in the towel, the great dream of his life was to preach the gospel in Rome, but he comes to Rome not as a you know, valiant apostle, but as a criminal. He has spent the last two years in jail. He spent three months in the, in the bottom of a Roman ship crossing the Mediterranean Sea, and last week we saw how he almost died when one ship he was on was wrecked by a storm and he had to dog paddle his way onto the beach in Malta. He's now in Rome, but he's under house arrest. He's a prisoner, and yet no formal charges have ever been lodged against him. Essentially, he has to quarantine. Every moment of his life, he is chained by the wrist to a Roman guard. He has no privacy. Can't you imagine him maybe feeling just a little bitter? I mean, he has been so faithful and so dedicated to the Lord. He has sacrificed so much, and this is the thanks he gets. Can you hear him wondering, God, you know, how could you do this to me? How could you let this happen to me? God, do you even know what you're doing? Don't you love me? Or 
is this all some kind of a cruel joke? How am I supposed to be faithful to you under these circumstances? Think of all the excuses Paul could have used to reinforce his limitations. <clears throat> While he was under strict house arrest, he couldn't do the things that he normally did. The things that he loved to do. He couldn't preach to large crowds. Couldn't go to the marketplaces and the synagogues to, to spontaneously debate with people. Couldn't go from house to house to encourage the, the new believers. Couldn't travel as he had done all on all his missionary journeys. And there's a grief that comes when you can't do the things that you're used to doing. I mean, right? We've all felt that this year, not being able to be with people, not being able to gather or worship together as before, not being able to travel freely, not being able to shop or eat or work or have a party with friends and family like we wish we could. There's a type of grief that goes along with all of these restrictions to life. And Paul had all of that and more. No one would have blamed him if he took the easy way for a while. He's not a young man anymore, and he's on trial for his life. Yet, it is almost as if these excuses never even crossed Paul's mind at all. His ministry doesn't skip a beat. He immediately begins using his rented home as a base of operations, and he invites people, leaders of the same groups who've been trying to kill him, he invites them to now come and visit him there in Rome. Now we know that many, many members of Caesar's household eventually turn to Christ in faith. Imagine being the, the guard who gets chained by the wrist to the Apostle Paul 12 hours a day. I mean, poor guy. I think it was Winston Churchill who said a fanatic is someone who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. Well, that's the Apostle Paul all over. So this poor guard, you know, he's getting the full gospel blast all day long. Plus, Paul uses his alone time to write letters back to many of the churches he visited on his previous journeys. These letters now make up at least a third of the New Testament that we have today. If it hadn't been, if, if Paul hadn't been under house arrest in Rome, if he hadn't maintained a positive attitude about it, we wouldn't have the Bible that we have today. Paul didn't see his chains as a hindrance or a limitation. What he saw were the new opportunities those chains brought. Paul wrote to his friends in the city of Philippi, I want you to know, my brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. That's Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Paul saw everything through the lens of faith. Every experience, every event, every relationship, he looked for God's opportunities in everything that came his way, no matter how difficult or demanding. Paul demonstrates something that should be true of every follower of Jesus. I mean, he was tuned in to what God was doing. Tuned in. Do you have any Bluetooth devices? You know, Bluetooth is the technology that creates connectivity between your phone and your computer and other electronic devices. Bluetooth technology allows your devices to pick up invisible radio signals and then get linked together with each other. My, my keyboard and my mouse are Bluetooth linked to my computer. That's how I write my sermons every week. People need that kind of connectivity with God. People are made in the image of God. Our spirits were created by God to pick up God's faith signals sent to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what we call prayer. 
Paul had his spiritual Bluetooth connected to God all the time. It was his natural habitat. It was that habit of faith that enabled him to live positively for Christ in all circumstances. It allowed him to live beyond his limitations. I mean, just as a fish, as fish live in water and birds are carried by the air under their wings, so faith is kind of the natural environment for those who know and trust in Jesus Christ. It's normal for Christians to live with a positive faith in Jesus, to live beyond their self-imposed limitations. This is why a persistent negative or cynical approach to life is not a mark of a spiritually or emotionally healthy person. As someone once said, faith is the native air of believers. And Paul breathed deep that air of faith constantly throughout his life, no matter what his outward circumstances. So this morning, let me ask you, what are your excuses for being discouraged, for giving up, for throwing in the towel? Is it some negative experience, the pain of a formal, former failure, you know, like tried it and it didn't work, so I'm never going to try that again? Is it the fear of the unknown, of what might happen? Is it an unwillingness to risk or perhaps a sense of shame over some area in your life? Do you focus too often on what you can't do rather than what you can do? Or is it simply fatigue, from fatigue from such a, a long year of weirdness? I mean, that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling the fatigue of the pandemic, it's just lack of energy, harder to focus, harder to make decisions. I feel that. What are you feeling these days? Do you find yourself in the grip of a cynical, negative, discouraged attitude? Well, would you like to shake loose of that negative spirit? Would you like to live beyond your limitations? Well, if you do, I believe there are some qualities in Paul's life that we can imitate as we seek to follow Christ and live beyond our self-imposed limitations. First, Paul had an intense hunger for God. I mean, he hungered for God. Imagine for a moment two people sitting across from one another at a restaurant table. They haven't eaten anything in three whole days. And God is like this plate of barbecue ribs smothered with Cajun hot sauce. One person is dressed in a white silk suit. He politely, you know, takes his napkin, spreads it across his lap. Then he picks up his knife and fork and delicately cuts off a little piece of meat, chews it, and when it, he tastes the zing of that hot sauce, he just says, mmm, that's really spicy. And quickly takes a drink of water to cool his tongue. Across from that guy sits the Apostle Paul. Now he's dressed in a plastic poncho. Before you can blink an eye, he dives into that plate of ribs with both hands. I mean, he is up to his elbows in barbecue sauce. It's all it's in his hair, it's everywhere. In no time, those ribs are picked clean like you'd toss them into an Amazon river filled with piranha. The bones look like they've been bleached white by a year in the hot desert sun. And Paul is licking the plate, he's licking his fingers, waiting for the second course. Paul was hungry for God, an intense, deep, driving hunger for God. Paul had a hunger for the Lord that he cultivated throughout his entire life. The more he knew of God, the hungrier he got. He was never complacent, never thought he knew it all or that he knew Christ well enough. With Jesus, there's always undiscovered territory to explore. There's always more of him to know. And we need that kind of hunger after the Lord if we're going to live in this atmosphere of faith. If we're going to live beyond our limitations, a deep, sincere hunger for God. Because it's possible for Christians to lose their hunger for the Lord. Maybe it was there when they first believed in Christ, but after a while, you know, we, 
we grow complacent, it becomes not as exciting as it used to be, or maybe we've had some tough blows along the way, some setbacks that kind of damaged our spirits. So well, that's a danger sign, folks. We have to rediscover that hunger for Christ. We have to long for that tang of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what makes us open and available to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what brings us joy in the journey. How, how would you rate your hunger for God, your, your hunger for Christ on a daily or weekly basis? Because without a hunger for Christ, it's a loss for which nothing else can compensate. Secondly, Paul believed in God. And what I mean is, he really believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and that Jesus would do what he said he would do. Now that might sound simplistic, but I would guess most of us probably don't. We don't believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, or that God will do what he really has promised to do. You know, when Jesus said, I will be with you always, Paul took that at face value. He knew deep in his bones that he was never alone. That's what gave him the confidence to face any situation that came his way. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ was right there with him. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, Paul took that assurance literally. He took that forgiveness deep into his heart. He felt the release from the guilt of his past, and it changed him. When Jesus said that his disciples would do even greater things than he did, Paul was ready to be used by Christ to prove that what God said was true. I mean, do you really believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he will do what he said he will do in your life? Do you believe in your bones that Christ is with you always? Do you believe in the power of his forgiveness in every situation? Do you? Third, Paul also believed something about himself. He believed, I am who God says I am, and I can do all that God says I can do. Paul lived what he taught. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It wasn't because Paul had a big ego or that he was super talented. It was because he believed in a big God, a big God who believed in him, a big God who was willing to come and die for him, to live inside of him through the power of the Holy Spirit, to energize him in his life and in his ministry in the world. It was Paul's belief in this big God that allowed him to look beyond himself, beyond the visible, to see God's hand at work in the invisible. This God inspired confidence in himself, enabled Paul to try new things, to take the adventurous path for the Lord, to even risk failure. I mean, Paul is like a circus trapeze artist who constantly flips through the air from one trapeze to another because he has this ultimate confidence in the safety net below him. Paul is up there trying backflips and triple somersaults because he knows the safety net of God's grace and love is always there to catch him. And so he had absolute freedom, absolute confidence in life. Doesn't that sound great? Isn't that what you and I really need? And if we really believe that, so much of our worry and anxiety, so much that hems us in, so much that restricts us would, would simply fall away. This confidence allowed him to explore his gifts, to test his abilities, to hone his strengths, to reach out confidently toward the future. This God-inspired confidence in himself allowed Paul to think bigger about the church and the gospel. Remember, before Paul came on the scene, the church was pretty isolated geographically. It was Paul and his missionary journeys that made the Christian faith a worldwide experience. It was Paul 
who led the way against racism to include non-Jewish people within the circle of the gospel. He had this bigger vision of what the body of Christ was supposed to be before anyone else even thought of it. One of the greatest needs in the church today is for people to be like Paul, to think bigger about ourselves and about what we are doing as a larger body as the church. So often we're kind of like a, like a wind-up toy car, the kind that just kind of runs straight ahead until it hits something. The doorway is only two inches away over here, but the toy car gets stuck against the doorframe, and the engine just keeps whirring and whirring and whirring until it finally loses power. But the car can't go anywhere. It's one-dimensional. It can only go in one direction. It can't think of new ways. And unfortunately, that can be true in the church. We keep going one-dimensionally. We're often so limited in our thinking about how to face problems that we're not able to discover solutions. We're not able to creatively proclaim the gospel in our communities because we are one-dimensional in our thinking. I read a story about a factory that made drills. They were going through a tough time and business was shrinking and a new president was hired and he called in the top four vice presidents. He asked them what they should do to improve the situation and they all gave the same answer. You know, we're looking at new shapes and sizes of our drills. The competition's stiff. We've got to come up with some new and better products. And that's when the president kind of dropped a, a bombshell. He said, now that I've taken over, I, want, I have news for you. We are no longer going to sell drills. Well, the VPs all thought he was crazy. You know, no more drills. It's time to get the resume together. But one of them bravely asked, then what are we going to sell? And the new president responded, we're going to sell holes. People don't want to buy drills. They want to buy what the drills can do for them. They want to buy holes. And so they began to think of other high-tech ways to create holes. This company succeeded because they developed laser drills long before anyone else was even thinking about the technology of drilling and cutting with light. The company almost failed because they thought they were in the drill business. They were limited in their own thinking. Churches often stumble if they think they're in the religion business or the business of getting people to attend religious activities. More people means more money, means more programs, means we're successful as a church. That's not really our business. That's just entertaining religiously minded people. Our business is to apply the faith, hope, and love of Jesus Christ to the real needs of people and make disciples, make committed followers of Jesus. Often we have self-imposed limitations about how to do that. I've now been in ministry for 44 years, heading towards retirement in August. Uh, we have a lot of self-imposed limitations in the ministry, I can tell you that. Throughout all the time, there are three constant negative verse, uh, voices in church life. doesn't matter the organization or the place, the geography, or even the people. There are just these three constant negative voices in church life. We don't have the money. We don't have the people. We don't have the time. That's the constant drumbeat in Christian ministry, regardless of location or even the type of ministry. We don't have the money. We don't have the people. We don't have the time. I can't imagine the Apostle Paul ever uttering those words. What we really don't have is the hunger for Christ. What we really don't have is the belief that Jesus is who he said he was and that he will do what he said he will do. What we don't have is the belief that we are who Christ says we are and we can do what he says we can do. We don't have the creativity to think beyond these self-imposed limitations. 
The story of the church doesn't end with the last chapter of the book of Acts, friends. That story is still going on. We are writing the newest chapter. You are part of that story. What you believe, how you act, it makes a difference in how that story will be told. There are great possibilities <clears throat> still out there. I believe that once the COVID crisis passes, there's going to be great opportunity to meet and engage new people, to share the good news of Jesus in creative and bold and compassionate ways. We need to think bigger. We need to be serious about what we are doing in Jesus' name. Are we really the body of Christ in this place, or are we kind of just a religious convenience store where people stop in to get good religious feelings on their way to somewhere else? The purpose of the church is to see lives changed as people are brought into ever-increasing knowledge and love and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many reasons why people are constricted by their self-imposed limitations. Paul found a way to break through his limitations because of his hunger for God, his belief in God, and his God-inspired belief in himself. I think we could sum up Paul's personality in this statement by Martin Seligman. He writes, and I quote, Every person has one word in his heart. It is either a yes or a no. In other words, in your basic outlook on life, are you a yes person saying yes to God and to his challenges and his opportunities? Or are you a no person that whatever comes your way, your first response is negative? Your first response is to pull back, to pull away. The word in Paul's heart was yes. A yes to God in the details of his daily life. A yes to Christ to look for divine opportunities in every experience. A yes to the Holy Spirit to be surrendered to him in obedience, unquote. Do you have a real hunger for Christ? Do you believe God is who he says he is? And that he will do what he has promised to do. And do you understand that God believes in you? God believes in you and you can do everything God says you can do. Because who knows, maybe this week, God's going to give you a 16-inch fish. Let's pray. Lord, I hope that you would hear our prayer. And give to us, to every one of us, a deep hunger for you a deep hunger to know you and to not be satisfied with yesterday's faith, but to hunger for you more deeply in every way, Lord, that, that you'd give us a greater hunger, hunger for scripture, a hunger for prayer, and all those ways that we would get to know you, Lord. And that you would, Lord, give us a bigger vision of who we are as your disciples and, and how you have inspired us to be your messengers of hope in this dark world. We pray, Lord, that we would look for opportunities, all the opportunities you might bring our way this week. And we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.